0: Well, we'll go ahead and continue to look at the book of Romans here this morning, so I want to have you go ahead and open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. And again, I know that we finished up chapter 4 the last time we were together, but... Uh, since chapter 5 starts, as you'll see there, with the word therefore, it's obviously a continuation of what's being talked about in chapter 4 of this letter. So, in order to do our best to kind of stay within the context of this letter, we will go ahead and read some of chapter 4, and then we'll go right on into chapter 5 from there. So, again, Romans chapter 4, and starting down in verse 13. It is speaking of Abraham here, and it says, For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect, because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression." Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Now, I love verse 16 here, and I know we talked about this the last time a lot, but I love this verse because it gives us the reason why salvation through faith is a much better way than salvation by the works of the law. The law was given through Moses to the children of Israel, which none of us are here this morning. And if salvation were uh, to only to those that were under the law, then salvation would not have been extended out to the Gentiles, which all of us are here this morning. So it's not just for the people of the law, Paul is pointing out as he is speaking to some of these Jews here. So salvation by grace through faith is the more excellent way because by God's grace, salvation has been offered to all people. who And all people can receive salvation now through a life of faith in Jesus Christ. So that's what the Apostle Paul is pointing out here in this letter. This is the the better way, the more excellent way. So in regard to God speaking to Abraham, verse 17 here continues and says, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope believed. Now as we read this, remember Abraham's circumstances in his life and what God promised him and Sarah at this point, right? And it says in verse 18, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in the faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, do you ever stop to think about how how so very hard it must have been for Abraham to believe what it was that God had spoken to him at this time in his life? I believe at times though, if we were all to be honest, it's equally as hard for us to walk by faith in the things that God has promised us in in His Word. And as we go through just our daily lives and the trials and the things that we go through in this life, I think if we're honest, we'll admit it's hard. It's hard to, to walk by faith. It's hard sometimes to continue in it. And as I've often said, faith is a fight, as the scripture points out. But it's truly something worth fighting for. And we're constantly encouraged throughout the scriptures to stay the course, to fight the fight, right? Life in, life in this world doesn't come easy. And this world system works especially hard against those who decide that they're going to follow the Word of God. When you make that choice, you make that commitment in your life to say, I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to serve the Lord in this life. It seems like all hell breaks loose against us sometimes, right? But when God spoke to Abraham and Abraham believed by faith, I believe that God had us all in mind. And in verse 23 here, It continues, Now it was not written for His sake alone that it was imputed to Him, speaking of Abraham, right? But also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in Him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and raised because of our justification. Okay, so now, we went through all of that the last time we gathered, but here we go into chapter five. Therefore, okay, so with all that in mind, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, we talked about that word justified the last time we gathered, how it means that in the eyes of God, We've been sanctified, justified, just as if I hadn't sinned. But here again, also notice here in verse 1 that we are justified by faith, right? That's how we are justified. Yes, God's grace, in God's grace, He has provided a way for all to escape from the bondage of sin. Sin has power over all the human race from the day of their birth to, to the day of their repentance when they come to faith in Jesus Christ. And repentance, of course, is when a person turns from living by the leading of their carnal mind, right, their their flesh, and they turn to walking by faith in, in God and being led by the Holy Spirit and what we see in the Word of God, right? Then that faith justifies that person in the eyes of God, and we have peace with God. Right? We're at peace with God. And also we know that God gives us peace in our hearts Right through the fruit of His Holy Spirit. Right Now, Lord willing, we will look at these scriptures together in the future, but I'd like to kind of fast forward here in Romans just for a moment and have you turn to Romans chapter 10. Go ahead and mark this page. Romans chapter t- 10. And we'll start in verse 6. So Romans 10, 6. It says, But the righteousness of faith... Okay, that's what we're talking about, the fact that we've been justified by faith. Okay? But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. And here's the example he gives. Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or, Who will... Descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Now, I don't know if I read that right. Who will ascend into heaven? I think I said descend. But anyway, <laughs> verse uh, 8, but what does it say? So in other words here, we can't do anything to bring about salvation. No one can. So how are we made righteous then by faith? The righteousness of faith, right? Right? Verse 8 continues, the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we (coughs) preach. Okay, pause right there again, because here's how simple it is for a person to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, That God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So that's the simplicity of coming to faith in Jesus Christ, right? A person comes to a place in their heart where they understand their own wretchedness and that their need for a Savior, that they need to repent. And then they believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ that paid the price for our sin. They then confess what they believe with their mouth. In other words, it is expressed to others in the way that they live their lives, and then they are baptized as an expression of that faith in Jesus, and then they must stay the course of faith all the way till the end of their life. They continue in the faith. We press on in the faith. We fight the fight of faith. We stay that course all the way till the end of life or until Christ returns, whichever comes first, and as we flip back now to Romans chapter (coughs) 5, It says in verse 1 that we have now been justified by faith and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But again, the person that comes to the point of believing in Jesus by faith already realizes that they need a Savior, that they have sinned, that they have fallen short of the glory of God. They have missed that mark. Right, like we've studied earlier in Romans, right? Then they confess their sin and they begin a new walk through this life, which is a a life of faith, having been baptized. And then they decide they're going to be led by the Holy Spirit and they're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, disciples of His, that desire to do His will as they walk through this earth. And then, speaking of Jesus, verse 2 of chapter 5 here continues and says through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God and not only that but we also glory in tribulations knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope Now, hold on a minute here, because I thought that when we come to faith in Jesus, it was all supposed to be easy, right? Isn't it right? Don't I get a mansion now? Don't I get a Mercedes Benz? Isn't it my best life now? Isn't it all good now? Well, what's all this talk here about glorying in tribulations and all this character building stuff, right? But this is the reality right the truth of the matter is is this is not where where we're this is not our stopping point this is not our home we are looking for a city whose builder and maker is god uh, the new jerusalem uh, uh, the heavenly jerusalem right it's not about this life this life is temporary and as people of faith We are to grow more and more distant from the things of this world growing deeper and deeper and deeper in our walk with the Lord. And as we have trials and as we have tribulations and then we have times of testing, right? What does that do? That produces something in us. It's what God wants for us. And we can get to a point where if we're focused on on God and not focused on the trials themselves, we can begin to count it as all joy. Because each time it comes, we grow deeper and deeper. Because that's what we're to do in our trials. That's what we're to do in our tribulation. Draw closer to the Lord. That's what He wants us to do. He's working in us. He's working something out within us. And He who has begun a good work in you, Scripture says, will be faithful to complete it. And He works in us to will and to do of His good pleasure. But often we're looking for our good pleasure we're looking for easy street right we're looking for things to go smoothly but it's not it's not our good pleasure that god wants to work it's his good pleasure and as disciples of jesus christ that's what we're submitting to you know he never said it. he promised tribulation right he promised these things right it's not what you'll find in the bible in the promise books that you'll buy in the store that scripture, but it is. It's just the life that he wants for us, and and he works it out for his good pleasure, and all things end up working together for good for those who love the Lord, for those that are called according to his purpose, the scripture tells us. So as we persevere by faith, right, and as we don't focus, don't fix our eyes on the things of this world, but we fix our eyes on the things of, of the word, right, and on the things of God, and as we seek first, we make that the priority, the kingdom of heaven, that is, as we seek first the kingdom of, of heaven, right? He provides our needs. And what does it do? It produces hope in us. And in verse five says, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Do you see that? The Holy Spirit puts the love of God in us, and we begin to, meaning we begin to love God more. we begin to love God more than than everything else, right? You see our hearts when filled with the love of God will not be filled with the love of this world will there'll, there'll be a love for the lost people of this world, yes, like God so loved the world that He gave his only son but there will not be a love of the world, okay? And oftentimes, if we're honest, I believe that when we're holding the things of the world in high esteem, we tend to get fixated on those things. And when we lose those things or when, when you know the flow of our life gets interrupted and it's not going the way we want because we've portrayed something that we want, when, when, when we do that, we then begin to lose our peace, and we begin to lose our hope, and we begin to lose our joy, and we begin to lose our patience, and we, we're we not long-suffering. All the fruit of the Holy Spirit tends to drain because we're fix, fixed on the wrong thing, right? So as followers of Jesus Christ, we're now in the world, right, to love God. God and to love the people that He's placed in front of us, right? But when we walk as if we're of this world, then the world around us says, well, what do you have that that I don't? I mean, you're going through life just like me. You're professing faith in Jesus Christ, but yet you behave just like I do when when things fall down or whatever, right? Because we're, we're not trusting completely in God. So, and this is why we gather, this is why we gather like this, so we can be encouraged and edified and exhorted to say, hey, we got to press on, because there's, there's no, no sin that has overtaken us, no thing that happens in our life, than such is common to man. We all go through things in this life, and we have to press on through faith. Again, remembering, look at what Abraham was up against A 100 years old and being told he's going to have a child with his wife who was that old, you know, and it was that faith that, that worked in his life, right? So you see, there's a reason, though, for the term born again as it applies to the followers of Jesus Christ. And it's a term that I believe in, in my over 30 years now of walking with the Lord. It was a big term 30 years ago when I came to Christ, being born again. And I knew that that's what happened in my life. But it seems that that, that term is kind of phased out. And Christianity has such a, a wide definition now that we don't even really know what Christianity is, right? But born again indicates that y- y- you've died to something first, if, you, if you're born again, you've died to something first, and then you've, made, been, you've been made alive to something new. You've now come into the kingdom of God. You've now come into His marvelous light, where you're walking with Jesus as your king. But yet we're still walking in this world. But in the kingdom of God, through faith, we know that the old has passed away and all things have become new. But if we attempt to become as this world is, then the hope that we have in Christ will be diminished because we are no longer persevering in the faith, but rather are just fitting in with the world by compromise, right? Now, I've pretty much covered all of this with the words I've spoken here in the last five minutes or so, but I want to show you how all of this reads in the Word of God. Go ahead and turn toward the back of your Bible to the book of 1 John, okay? If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far, but find 1 John, chapter 2. 1 John, chapter 2. And we'll look down and we'll start reading in verses 16 and 17. So 1 John 2, 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever." Right? So that should be our focus right there, should it not? The will of God, that is. Our focus should be the will of God. Now, we should not be desiring the things of this world, but rather desiring the will of God for our lives. Now, how, how do we ascertain what the will of God is? Right. That is, how do we get to know the will of God and how He wants us to live. It's easy to know the will of the world. It's easy to know the will of everyone else around us, but how do we know the will of God? Well, He's made it very simple and very plain and clear to us in His Word, right? We know from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, that the Word of God is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that we may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what the Word of God can do, right? It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We know from Psalm 119 that the Word of God is a lamp for our feet and a light to our path. Also, in in Psalm, we know that the word of the Lord is what keeps us on the path of purity and that it cleanses our ways. That's in Psalm 119 as well. How shall a man cleanse his ways? By taking heed to the word of God. Jesus says in Luke 12, 28, that we are blessed, the one that is blessed when they hear, the, the one that hears the word of God and obeys it. That's the blessed person, okay? So this is the will of God for our lives, that we would trust in Him and that we would obey Him with all that we have. And it truly is found in the Word, if we would take the time to seek it out and realize that what He says is what He wants us to do and that it's not just a book of suggestions, that it's something that He actually wants us to live out. And He's not left us alone in this endeavor, right? Because He indwells us today by His Holy Spirit that is within us. And the Holy Spirit does the work within us of what? Jesus said the Holy Spirit would bring to our remembrance all that He has said and all that He has done while He was here on the earth. So we can know what He said. And then the the holy men of God wrote what the Holy Spirit spoke to them, and we have that in the pages of our bible if you ever would just i recently um, looked at the story i actually looked at it on youtube it's on there but it's the story of um william tyndale and when you realize what somebody went to to get through i mean to get the word of god to us william tyndale was responsible for translating the bible into english okay from the hebrew and the greek that was his aim was to do that Well, he was killed, he was burned at the stake for doing this, for getting the Bible into English, because the church at that time didn't want him to do that. The priest and the the Pope, they they all wanted control of the Word, so they didn't want it put into English because they didn't want people to know what it said. But when you watch that and you realize somebody died, they were burned at the stake the Word of God. So you could be here and I could be here today reading it in English, right? And this was somebody that God used to get the Word out to us as Gentiles, as English-speaking Gentiles here in the world. So we have the Holy Spirit within us to bring us into remembrance of that. The Holy Spirit had men of God write all of this down so we could know it. And we are to take heed to it and obey it. And it cleanses our ways and it instructs us in righteousness. And it keeps us on the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And when we gather like this on Sunday mornings, it is the work of the Holy Spirit amongst us to exhort us to be sure that we are walking the walk in this time that we've been given here on this earth, that our faith is something real, and it is something worth fighting for, and it's something worth pressing on in. So as we turn back now to Romans chapter 5, again, to Romans chapter 5, and we'll pick it up in verse 6. Romans 5, 6 for when we were still without strength in due time Christ died for the ungodly you see you and me and all the world are the ungodly that Christ died for your extended family your co-workers your neighbor your neighbors they're all the ungodly that Christ died for too you see you don't have to invite them to a gathering like this. It'd be great if you did, but even if you don't, you should invite them to Jesus. You have the opportunity to allow them to see Christ in you. And it is as simple as telling them of your love for Him and also allowing them to see your love for Him as you live this life on a daily basis. But again, if we allow ourselves to get all freaked out and all chaotic about everything else in the world because we don't have a focus on faith, well then we can't help anyone around us either, right? So it first starts with us and it first starts with our own hearts, something that we confess with our mouth that we believe in our hearts and we live it out, right? Again, as you look back at verse five, it says that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts, by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So I exhort you this morning, and myself as well, to inquire within your own soul as to whether you truly do have a love for God or has the love for this world in some way drowned it out that love, right? Has the work of the Holy Spirit been somehow smothered? in your life, or are you allowing yourself to be led by the Spirit? Verse seven continues, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So in other words, you and I were not worthy of the death of the only begotten Son of God, not one of us. And I believe that we need to stay in that mindset. God always uses circumstances in my life to bring me back to the realization of how wretched I am and how much I need Him. If I ever get to the point where I'm losing sight of that, God will bring circumstances in my life to allow me to see my own wretchedness right, that I was not deserving deserving to have a man so good, a man so pure, a man so gentle, a man so loving, so kind, die for me. None of us are, right? And no greater love has ever been displayed than the love of God in Christ Jesus. And we, therefore, should have a deep, deep love for God, just as a result of understanding this, to have that love of God within us, knowing that were so undeserving, but God demonstrated His own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And verse nine says, much more than, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. You see, it is the blood of Jesus that was shed for the sin of the world, your sin, my sin, and the blood of Christ now justifies the one that walks by faith in Him. And God's wrath is no longer upon those that have repented. That is, those that have turned from their willful sin and have come to Jesus Christ by faith. And coming to Jesus is not a one-time ritualistic confession. Coming to Jesus is a sold-out life, a life that has put their hand to the plow and is not looking back. A life that has taken up the cross and continues to take up the cross daily, to die to ourselves and to follow after Jesus, to walk in His ways as is displayed in the Word of God. Again, that's where we find the will of God. It's displayed in the Word. What He, how He wants us to live, it's all there, right? Verse 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Now the first part of verse 10 there is very easy to understand in light of the previous verses we have read thus far. We understand that we have been reconciled to God through the death of Jesus. But I looked up the Greek word for the English word saved there as you see it at the end of verse 10. And here are the definitions of the Greek word, which is the word sozo for saved, right? It means to keep safe and sound, to make well, heal, restore to health, to preserve one who is in danger of destruction, to save or rescue, to deliver from the penalties. judgment. That's the meaning of that word saved there, okay? So with all that in mind, because of the resurrected life of Jesus Christ, we have been rescued. We have been made well. We have been delivered from the penalty of judgment. We have been reconciled by his death and saved by his life. You see, if part of that were gone, in other words, Jesus died, and reconciled us to God through His life, but He never rose again from the dead, then we would have no hope in this life because we would not have His Holy Spirit indwelling us today. And we would not have the hope of His second coming either. There would be no living hope for us if not for the resurrection. There would be no salvation. His debt would have settled the cost of our sin, but there would be no eternal life, no abundant life, right? So we are to continue to walk by faith in Christ today, completely sold out to, to love, to honor, to serve Him, right? Or we're going to be missing out on that abundant life that He has for us. Verse 11 says, And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So think about that for a minute. We rejoice in God through Jesus Christ it says. At one time we were separated from God. Now we are reconciled to God in that and so in in that we can now rejoice. There's another reason to rejoice. We've been reconciled to God. Verse 12. Therefore just as through One man's sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. So we talked about all this in the past, right? But the Apostle Paul is trying to get across here is that the leading of the Spirit, that is, through the leading of the Spirit, he's trying to get across that since Adam's sin, sin has been in the world, and man has walked daily in that sin. That sin, though, wasn't imputed, or man wasn't held responsible for that until the law was introduced, or they didn't know they were responsible until the law was introduced, and the law then made us understand that we're all sinners because we couldn't keep the law, and we fall short. Verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. So we know, don't we, that the wages of sin is death. And from Adam to to Moses, mankind was spiritually dead, even though all those people from Adam to Moses did not partake in the original sin along with Adam and Eve. Remember, Adam's name means humanity. And as a result of Adam's sin, all of humanity became sinners. The law didn't make us sinners. It just revealed to us that we are sinners. Paul was trying to to get it through to these Jews that he's addressing here as well in this letter, um, that many people, you know, many people today, they thought it in their time, and many people today still think that their religion, their denomination or non-denomination will save them. But our righteousness is like filthy rags to God, and our only hope is in Jesus Christ and what he has done for the sin of God. Of the world. Paul here mentions at the end of verse 14 that Adam was a type of him who was to come. So in this we see a representation because both Adam and Jesus were sinless from the beginning, but unlike Jesus, Adam sinned, and that sin infected all of mankind and passed sin on to all of mankind. And that sin separates all of mankind from a holy God. But Jesus's sinless life and ultimate death on the cross reconciled all of mankind back to man to God, right? So the fact that both these men impacted all of humanity makes Adam a type of Christ and makes Christ the second Adam or the last Adam, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, I believe it's chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that, I'll actually read it to you. It says, and so it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. That's in, uh, 1545. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, Paul says to the Corinthians, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. The first man, Adam, was of the earth, made of the dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of the dust, so also are those who are made of the dust, and as is the heavenly man, so also are those that are heavenly, okay? Because we understand, right, that we have a physical body now and we will have a heavenly body later, okay? So, I want to actually um, fast forward here. I want you to go ahead and we're going to stay now in Romans chapter 5. I was going to have you turn to 1 Corinthians, but I'm kind of fast forwarding through that right now for the sake of time here. But here in, in Romans chapter 5, it continues in verse 15. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of of the one man Jesus Christ abounded to many and the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification so you see again how many people are worthy of heaven today in and of our own flesh how many of us are worthy of? Not one of us, right? Because the, the offense of Adam, who represented all of humanity, condemned us all. And the law was the nail in our coffin. In other words, the law emphasized the fact that we are sinners when God gave the law. And we've studied through the book of Exodus together. But by the grace of God, all of humanity can be reconciled in Jesus Christ if they will come to Him and walk by faith in Him. And verse 17 says, For if by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more, those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. So again, Adam's sin brought about death, and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ brought about life. Verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many were will be made righteous, righteous, right? So I think all of these verses have become very self-explanatory to us here this morning, all right? But verse 20 says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ. So you see, God's grace truly is amazing. It saves a wretched soul from eternal separation from God the Father. And it's all been done, how? Through the finished work of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. His blood has covered our sins. And though our sins were as scarlet, we have been made white as snow. So we have eternity in heaven. Not by the deeds of the flesh, nor by the works of the law, but rather by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And all of this should remind us and should make us love God. And when we're focused on God, again, when we're walking in the faith, when we're staying the course of faith, and and we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, and we're knowing His work in our lives, and we're knowing His love in our lives, we have peace. We have joy. He he wants us not seeking after the things of this world. He wants us seeking after Him first. And then He gives us godliness. And with that godliness comes contentment. And He is worthy of all of our focus. So as we go into a new week, I just exhort you to spend time, force yourself, whatever it takes, spend time in the presence of God, seeking Him, seeking Him in prayer, seeking Him in His Word, just meditating on the things of the Lord. Don't let the chaos of this life derail you from what God has for you. Stay focused and stay fixed on Him. And if you need reasons just to praise Him, think about all this. Think about what Christ has done. Think about the eternal life you have. When we start to be heavenly minded, like the old song says, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim. Why? In the light of His glory and grace, things of this world grow strangely dim. In other words, I used to care so much about that. That used to bog me down so much. But now I'm so focused on Jesus, so fixed on Him that it doesn't weigh me down because the sin that so easily besets me, I cast it aside and I press on in the faith in Jesus Christ. So again, I really believe this is why we gather to exhort one another to keep going, to stay the course. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, again, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, even when we're not, for your goodness, even when we're not, Lord. Lord, it is not about us. It is all about you, God. And when we come to you, we need to come holy, Lord, completely, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength to love you with all that we have, knowing that you have a hope and a future for us. You have a a plan for us, Lord, that you have begun a good work in us, that you will be faithful to complete it, Lord. Lord, forgive us for not fixing our eyes on you. Forgive us for not being content with our daily bread, for for not realizing that sufficient for today are the troubles thereof, for the times when we take thought for tomorrow and we worry and we doubt and we take our eyes off of you. God, forgive us. And we thank you that your mercy is new this morning. And God, that your spirit can lead and guide us through this day and, and going forward. So we pray your spirit to come upon us, to empower us, that we would be witnesses to you. And Lord, that your love would, would shine through us, Lord. Again, we just thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.